Welcome to the 80th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Sometimes it's difficult to make a direct connection between farming practices and their impact on the environment. This is particularly true when it comes to the effect crop and livestock production has on groundwater, which is the oftentimes mysterious system of aquifers that exists beneath our feet. But farmers and other rural residents in one region of northeast Iowa have a better idea than most about the relationships between farming systems and water quality. That's because the Big Spring Basin is one of the most well-known and studied sites in the U.S. when it comes to information on groundwater contamination in a landscape dominated by porous limestone rock, otherwise known as karst. Research in the basin, which is named after Iowa's largest cold water spring, has turned up some bad news. Since the 1960s, nitrate levels in the basin's water have been a consistent pollution problem. This is a direct result of more of the watershed's land area being planted to corn, which relies heavily on nitrogen fertilizer. These corn plantings have come at the expense of pastures, woods, small grains, and even hay fields, all plant systems that help maintain good water quality. Over the years, the Big Spring Demonstration Project has worked with farmers to reduce nitrogen fertilizer contamination through such practices as conservation tillage, diverse crop rotations, and well-managed grazing systems. It's had some success, but more work is needed if the ground and surface water in the area is to approach the quality levels needed for a healthy watershed. At a recent field day sponsored by Practical Farmers of Iowa and Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, among others, participants got to see for themselves the direct relationships between land use and water quality. The tour started out at Big Spring Trout Hatchery, which is at the site where the spring itself emerges from the ground before emptying into the Turkey River. At the hatchery, fisheries biologist Gary Sigworth described how springs and other water systems are being impacted by various farming practices. The second part of the field day took place on the farm of Jeff Kling and Deb Tidwell. This 300-acre crop and cattle farm is 8 miles as the crow flies from the fish hatchery. The farm drains into the watershed that feeds the spring, and during the past few decades, Kling and Tidwell have taken several steps to reduce harmful runoff, including diversifying their crop rotation and converting to a certified organic system. After the field day, I had a chance to talk to Sigworth and Kling about Big Spring and the relationship between what takes place on the land and what happens to the water beneath it. First, I talked to Sigworth about how a natural resource like Big Spring can serve as a type of environmental barometer for the landscape. When I'm on the river or I'm looking at the spring, and I'm there every day, so I'm, 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 at, the, I'm at the source of where what Jeff is doing is being reflected in the water. And so I, I thought of that, it was, that this is reflected as a barometer, just like a barometer would indicate something happening, change, or it's, it's reflecting something. Stream or a river or a, the, the spring, uh, in the case of Jeff here, is the ultimate barometer for what's happening on the landscape. And it's a barometer for many reasons because it reflects it in a physical form of just the river reflecting silt maybe that's been left behind or how that's affecting the river water quality. It's reflected in the biological component of the of the spring or the river. It's it's reflected in the water quality. We can take a measurement of that. Or it's just reflected in just the visible part of what we're seeing. I mean, if, if we're seeing the water turn brown, that's reflecting that soil is still eroding from the uplands and, and that that's affecting the river. Could you talk a little bit about what, you, what kind of barometer readings you're seeing or what have you seen change and maybe what kind of changes were taking place even before, 50 years or so that we, we've seen in that area? Okay, I mean the barometer changes I see, and I don't even I don't even see the I mean the very fine tuned barometer would be those measuring water quality to see the things that are in that water that are actually 
it's coming from somewhere. But I, I, I just see the barometer just from the physical things I can see and from the biological component of, of, the, of, of where fish habitat can be or where a deep hole might be. But it's, in the case of the spring, it's just a simple matter of, of water quality. When there's a big rain in the watershed, when it turns brown and you have a foot of silt in a, in a, in a raceway that's putting out 200 gallons per minute, that's a not sustainable. That's soil loss that's, that's, that's gone forever, essentially. And when I look at it from the river's perspective, I can look at many physical features of the river. I can look at a, at a, at a 15-foot dirt cut bank that tells me, okay, there, there was days gone by that there was tremendous soil loss that now is still sitting and trapped making the river out of connection with its floodplain. I can look at the sand load in the river, and I see there's still excessive soil loss, more than a river can possibly transport out that's left behind, that covers all the habitat of the gravel rock, that invertebrates and the fish populations that feed on them, covers it up like a desert on the river. And, and, and a lot of people just don't see that kind of thing. I can see just the water itself of the, the sediment load that's carried in the in the water itself. What kind of trends are you seeing paralleling that as far in agriculture and land use in the area that would lead cause some of this some of these trends that you're seeing? I've seen it, you know, when I first got there 10 years ago, that was I think the height of our of the CRP program which there was a lot of land out of production and, and we're here in the Paleozoic Plateau which is a, in a different area of, of a lot of highly erodible land. And there was a lot of years there that it seemed like things were looking okay. We had a lot of CRP acres in, a lot of land that should never have been in soybean and corn row production because the land just isn't suitable for that. Even in the last few years, that the lure of, this, of the $5 corn has all of that's coming out. People are taking, getting out of contracts that are still have five or six years left in them. And even now, you can see that subtly in, like for last night, for example, we had just a little over an inch rain. And that water looks so turbid that, you know, that's an indication that just even that kind of a rain that we have, that uh, it cannot withstand that kind of... Um, tillage in this kind of a, a topography. Yeah, I, th I think what was troubling for me was I, w I saw the, the Turkey River and how chocolate brown it was, not, you know, not super surprising knowing how much intense agriculture is taking place in the watershed. But then when we looked at Big Spring flowing into it, I mean, it wasn't chocolate brown, but it wasn't clean either. It was pretty, pretty cloudy. Right. Even the spring itself, which is actually a fairly small watershed, um, yeah, that, that was reflecting it in itself in the water quality. And I think the bigger question here isn't we know these things and how they're directly connected. You know, what happens on the land is reflected in, in the water. How do we change that? How do we, the, the, it, like, it moves forward, the, the change in agriculture, landowner rights, whatever, without, with lacking a true definition of land stewardship. How do we define land stewardship? And I've, I like to define it in somehow giving something back, you know, putting in a waterway, even though you might not be getting a payment for putting in a waterway. When we farmed, we just had waterways because we didn't want erosion of the land itself. And even though when I was on the farm, I was actually in the reverse, reverse role because I was, on the, I was up on the farm. Even though we had streams on our land, I never made that connection. And so I, I, I also understand that, you know, Jeff's a long way from Big Spring. And for him to understand that he's connected to Big Spring, 
he is in the minority. Most people, they don't see that because they're not at the spring. However, if they had to make a daily trip to the spring to see what was going on with what they were doing, that's how they would, they would quickly realize, like, I did that? That's, that's part of the land I, I'm, I'm working? And they, they would maybe become more connected, but that doesn't happen right now. And so what we, I think we have to figure out is how do you connect people? on the uplands that are farming, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to do the right thing in most of them. And it's like, how do you get the information in their hands or how do you change the way they're doing things to connect them? You know, it's the disconnect of, of that, of what we're doing to the water that I think is what we have to figure out. Cause I think people are willing to do the right thing, but how do we, how do we get them motivated? How do we connect them? I think that's the big question. After chatting with Sigworth, I talked to Jeff Kling about how the research done in the Big Spring Basin has influenced his farming practices over the years. Well, the connection probably started when I was quite young as a child. We went there to the Big Spring as a, for a family outing. Yes, I was interested in the trout, as everybody is, but I was really interested in the, the spring, and I kind of followed that, that after that, and it was a few years later I started reading about a study there about groundwater, and it, the drew, there was a map included. Here I found out that our home farm was in a big spring basin, and I thought, wow, that's pretty neat. I never thought of that before, that groundwater, you know, it comes to the surface eventually. And this was a unique place where it that happened so it made me think about what we do on this farm affects the water that comes out of big springs and i was thinking on a little bigger uh, sphere of influence it's probably true to some extent across the whole state and across the whole midwest what we do what we do as farmers affects groundwater everywhere as years went by i followed the study and i i saw how uh, they they did a big springs project uh, in when was that uh, 80s where they encouraged farmers were encouraged to take uh, nitrogen credits if they grew alfalfa which most of them weren't doing and credits for manure application and then the study showed that over the years that uh, more than 130 to 40 pounds of of um, and of actual and applied per acre, you were really wasting it because they they had done this several years where the different levels of nitrogen were applied and the higher didn't did not add to the yield. So I thought that is interesting, and this all came out of the Big Spring study. And whenever I do something, my decision to become organic, uh, part of that came from Big Spring Basin. Sooner or later, it gets to you. For more on Big Spring, see www.igsb.uiowa.edu and type in the search term Big Spring. LSP's website at www.landstewardshipproject.org has fact sheets and other resources on how farms can improve water quality. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call me at 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.